Welcome to Tapping Into Spirit, where we discuss and explore issues related to spirituality in a manner that questions everything. We start from a premise that everything comes from somewhere and work to understand the unexplainable. We always endeavor to have a great time discussing a serious topic with the hopes of offering inspiring thoughts and ideas that allow for growth, evolution, and transformation. We always begin by inviting Spirit to join us in this conversation and guide our words and intentions so that we express things in a manner that is true and inspirational. And we are always thankful and extremely grateful for the opportunity to serve. Greetings, I'm your co-host, Dr. Anthony Smith, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Wadi Powell and Glenda Jones. Greetings. Peace. Today, we are joined by my godmother, Ia Ifalola. And she is going to be talking with us about her path to spirituality and how she came to understand the process of tapping into spirit. Greetings. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank Yay. you so much. Welcome, Ia. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be here. So grateful to have you. Thank you. Absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in and, and ask you to give us a sense of who you are and how you, in an overall sense, relate to spirit, and then we're going to get into some nuts and bolts of that um, as we continue to talk throughout the podcast. Okay, so you know I'm Miss Wordy. You'll have to give me a sign that tells me how we're going to do it here. But, um, Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 55 uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and I don't usually say this next part, but I'm going to say it this time because it indicates things that happened further down the line. Sure. My mother uh, decided that she wanted to give me up for adoption, so uh, she took me to Denver. And Denver was, she went to Denver, Denver was actually where I was born. Hmm. Um, she gave me up for adoption, and uh, I went to Colorado Springs. My mother went back to Cleveland. Um, when she met my father, the man I call my father, uh, he saw how despondent she was, and so she sent, he made her go back to get me. So she came to Colorado, to Denver, and uh, on a plane and had to catch a helicopter to Colorado Springs to pick me up. Mm-hmm. She was within that time limit, so she could still get me back. On the way back to Denver, I threw up. So she had to go into the bathroom to clean me up, and by the time she had cleaned both of us up and came back to catch the plane, she had missed it. On that plane was a man's mother. He had bought insurance for her at that airport and had planted a bomb in her suitcase. And that plane exploded, and everybody on the plane had died. I just heard about that story a few weeks ago. Are you serious? Yes, when we were in Barbados, I heard about Somebody told me about that story of, of yeah, they were they sold in, insurance in the airports. Right, and they stopped it after <laughs> that because cause he, that's where he bought it. Right, he bought it, he a, bought it in the vending machine in right. the airport. Oh, no and way. he, I just heard that story <laughs> well, a few oh, weeks oh, ago. Oh, wow. That's spirit. Yeah, that's yes, definitely spirit. this is Active all divine order. And living uh-huh. yeah. and showing itself. Right. 
and also gives me validation for understanding I was meant to be here. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you said you don't normally tell this story. I don't. And, right. then, you, and then you did. Not that part of the story. Right, right, right. Right, right. Wow. Yeah. So that's that was my beginning. So, uh, again, so, I, so if you hadn't thrown up on yourself. We would have been on the plane mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. Mm-hmm. And you're a newborn. Right. At that time. Right. <laughs> right. So... Born with something, <laughs> and yeah. highly, highly protected and yes, guarded, absolutely by spirit, yeah. right? Mm. In order to protect the path and the purpose. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, we starting off with a bang. I, know. <laughs> okay. I never told you this. Before. No. Mm. Ooh. Okay. So, um, my mother and father were activists. They were members of CORE, SNCC, SCLC, and NAACP. And so people will go, "You lying." And I say, no, remember, in 55 was before we had the right to vote again, right? Mm-hmm. So my parents helped to uh, uh, elect the first, uh, f- first of all, helped us to get the right to vote again, and then to uh, help elect the first black mayor of a large city, um, Carl Stokes, uh, in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Now, I say the first black mayor of a large city because back in the late 1800s, Mississippi had black mayors all up and down the, the, the state, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the, the, the place I grew up in. Our phones were bugs, so there was a tick, tick, tick. Every time we picked up, it was a handset, right? Every time we picked it up, it was a click, click, click. Um, I tell people we had the first motion detectors because we had these big floodlights in the back, right, so that we could see who was in the yard and all the rest of that. Couldn't have any friends. Couldn't have any friends because um, um, my parents had to scrutinize them and interview them, find out who they were to make sure that they weren't somebody who was trying to get to us. Uh, I didn't have many things that I could do, so I got involved in theater. I played music. I, I played a violin for a number of years, and uh, dance was the other thing that they tried to get me into. But I had a teacher. Uh, the teacher was white. I was the only black child in the class, and they said some. I can't remember if they said I was double jointed, so I couldn't dance, or I was not double jointed, so I couldn't dance. But whatever it was, it was a lie. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. um, so those are the types of things that I went through. Um, so uh, when I got to be about 16, I had a younger brother who was 13, and we did not have a religious upbringing. Um, I, and I, it never occurred to me, I didn't catch my parents before they left out of here to ask them why. They did not let us go to church. But at, when I got turned 16 and my brother was 13, they decided we needed to at least have that experience. And so they allowed us to cho- choose the church that we wanted to go to. My brother didn't care, so I chose the United Methodist Church after we, we would go around and look at the churches. And it wasn't until, what, 50 years later, I moved to Jackson, Mississippi, and I'm doing the work I'm doing there that I came to realize I went to the Methodist Church and I um, chose it because of the social concerns within the church. I was on my first picket line when I was six years old, right? And so they would go on picket lines, boycotts, um, you, you know, you name it, anything that was... Uh, uh, pertinent to civil rights they were involved in it so I chose the Methodist Church and I fell in love I fell in love with God I fell in love with Jesus I was on this roll I thought Jesus was that voice I was hearing in my head when I was a little girl right they thought that I was uh, destined to become a Methodist minister at that time there were very few black ministers and only two women that were black right Mm -hmm. so they said uh, you know we just knew this is what I was supposed to do. I was ecstatic. I was going to blaze this trail. I was ready to go. And then it got to a point that every time the minister would start his sermon, I would talk to, start to cry. 
and I couldn't understand why that was happening. So I talked to everybody, was trying to figure out what was going on. Nobody could tell me. So I'm going through my little checklist and I'm thinking maybe it's because of all the hypocrisy in the church, right? Uh, folks would smile in each other's face and then talk about each other behind the fans, right? And I said, well, maybe that's it. I said, yeah, that's it. I said, well, no, wait. They do that everywhere. I'm not crying anywhere else. <laughs> I'm just crying here. And so I got to a point where um, not only I started crying every time I got to the door of the church, mm -hmm. and I couldn't understand why. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I needed to take a break. I needed to step back for a minute, take a look, and see what was going on. And uh, so that's what I did. I pulled away. Um, meanwhile, I'm trying to think the next thing that happened. Well, one of the things that happened shortly thereafter was that uh, my mother and father decided to get a divorce. And um, my father refused to pay child support, and I didn't understand why. And that's when I came to find out that he was not my uh, natural father, right? And uh, when I came to find out who my natural father was, I was in 12th grade. I had three more months of school to, to attend. Uh, I uh, dropped out of school, and I went to go join the Black Nationalists. And... Uh, my cousin worked with the Black Nationalists and they had an abstinence detoxification center and we were trying to deal with folk uh, minus the methadone, methadone free with, with uh, withdrawal. Um, and uh, so I joined, my cousin was working there and um, that's what I was doing. Uh, they put me on, spy, on, on trial for being a spy because uh, Carl Stokes, I called Uncle Carl, his brother Louis Stokes was a senator that worked uh, in, that was in Ohio, elected in Ohio, and he was good friends with the family as well. So Uncle Lou called my mother one day to say that Black Unity House, the place that I was working, was going to be uh, um, uh, raided by the FBI. So I told them, and um, they went, yeah, whatever, right? But the thing that was the dangerous part was that there were a lot of uh, released um, returning citizens that worked there and they were not allowed to have guns on them and nobody actually I don't think it was legal for any of us to really have guns at that time and so uh, if they had come in and caught the gun, them with guns on because part of our job was that we during we had sessions where there was a sister and a brother on duty and somebody had to have a gun we went through gun training and all the rest of that right um, so no one was there with a gun they I told them they were coming they no one had a gun. One brother had a gun, and they arrested him, and everybody else was good. But they put me on trial for being a spy. And so all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm going through all of this, and I came to find out that they were trying to get back at my father, and they were trying to use me to do that. So that became another bust, right? So I left them, and I went across the street, <laughs> and I became a barmaid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm still only 17 years old now. So uh, So you dropped out of school. I dropped out of school. Because you were mad about your father? About the per person who was my natural father. Mm -hmm. Right. Who was white. Okay. Um, right. And so then I joined the black nationalists to reaffirm my nationalism. Right. Okay. And then when that didn't work, I went to the bar to 
push back against everybody. Okay. Right. Trauma. Yes, yes. And the trial that you were on was within the organization? Yes. Oh. And they ended up finding me not guilty, but it was like, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with you. How dare you? Right. You know, we're supposed to be a, a community. We're working together. So it's learning the examples of what community does not look like mm. um, that uh, helped me a lot as I was growing up, right? So the, the thing about the bar, I just want to say that this is funny. Um, I was serving drinks, and one day, uh, one night, uh, the owner was in, and somebody offered me a drink, and I said, oh, no, I don't drink, thank you. And the man went, what's wrong with you? <laughs> somebody offers you a drink, you're supposed to take it. You're costing me money, right? Oh. So I said, oh, okay, I didn't know. So the next time somebody came and offered me a drink, I said, mm, okay, what are you drinking? He said, one by one and Coke. I said, okay. So I poured myself a one by one and Coke, right? <laughs> So the next time that happened, one of the other barmaids was in there, and she saw me doing that, and she said, uh, what are you doing? I said, Tish said that if somebody offers us a drink, we're supposed to take it. She said, honey, you don't put alcohol in the drink. <laughs> you just pour the mixer and look like you're pouring in the alcohol and charge them for the drink, right? It was too late by that time. The other thing that happened to me, I had left home. I had an apartment across the street from the bar. I came home one night, and my door was open, right? I thought I forgot to lock the door. It took me two days to realize I'd been robbed. <laughs> oh, no, poor baby. Right. But these are the little ones. of how I was just in the arms of spirit, right? Mm -hmm. I was able to go through and um, figure out what was going on. Not figure out, experience life and be protected in, in my hard-headedness in mm -hmm. finding my way through that thing. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up working in theater. I went to D.C. for a while. I worked at a place called Black... Uh, I, I got training through um, a couple of different theaters in um, Cleveland, and I had a stage managing producer, production manager and that type of thing. Um, so I went to D.C., um, and this is going to make sense in a moment, for, forgive my long-windedness, but I was in D.C., and I went to a place called D.C. Black Repertory Dance Company. Um, and I was there for about a year, and then I came back, uh, ended up uh, in Atlanta doing, working with a friend. Um, uh, I was in Milwaukee for a moment, met Dara's father, uh, and then we separated and I, because I moved back to Cleveland, and I went to Atlanta uh, working for a theater. Dara's father came back there. We hooked up again, and so I ended up with pregnant with Dara, right? Dara's but your oldest? My older. oldest daughter, the one that you just, yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Um, while I was there, I had the opportunity to go to the Shrine of the Black Madonna. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it or you've ever experienced, heard anything about this. Um, it was started by a brother named Albert Clay Jeremoji Abebe Ajima is the, his African name, was his African name, and may he rest in peace. And so this church got started in um, Detroit, and they had a branch in Atlanta when I was there. So I don't know how I ended up walking in that place, but I walked in that place. And I look on the wall, and there's this Black Mary right on the wall. And Jesus has black skin, dark eyes, right, locks coming down his back. And his whole thing was that Jesus was a revolutionary, and he taught a whole new thing. Mm -hmm. And so the shrine has mm -hmm. grown. There are five different shrines. And, uh, around the country. I think there's one here in North Carolina, South Carolina mm -hmm. is where one is. Excuse me. But it turned my life around about mm -hmm. understanding um, that there was more to this thing than I had recognized. Mm -hmm. right? 
So I go back to Cleveland. Dara is born. I go back to Cleveland to introduce my daughter to Dara. And I go to the theater where I had been working and I wanted to show off. This is my daughter, right? They said, oh, we're so glad you're here. We need you to come stage manage this play. There's a professional coming in. He's got to, uh, uh, he needs somebody. We need you. You need to stay. I said, no, I've got a job waiting for me in, in, in Atlanta. I, I can't stay. Oh, please, it's only going to be for a couple weeks. But when they told me who the person was, his name was Mike Malone. And Mike was the brother who helped found the DC Black Repertory Dance Company in DC. Oh. So I knew him, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> he was uh, Debbie Allen's choreographer. He's mm -hmm. no longer with us as well. So I said, oh, crap, OK, let me go. So I went, and I ended up staying there for three years. Dara came <laughs> with me wow. in the back, and she was in the, state, uh, in the wings while I'm doing my thing. But this brother. When he, he was a choreographer in the, in the plays he directed were musicals that he put together. Hmm. So the first play he did was called Singing and Shouting, and it was about the, the creation of the world, right? And had doves flying from the sound booth and all the rest of that. But the first thing that came out on um, stage was the stilt walker carrying this iruke, which is a feathered wand, right? It's a, a spiritual uh, implement. And he was weaving the world. Right? Mm. He was creating the world with this wand. That, I came to understand, was a, an Orisha from Yoruba mindset that was called Obatala. Right? And so he would intertwine those Orisha within the stories, the biblical stories that he would um, uh, portray. Mm. And so I'm looking and I'm saying, what is this all about? Then, see, this is how my life goes, and it's just very interesting for me. There was a brother who lived in um, Columbus that would come up to Cleveland to see his girlfriend who worked at the theater. He had been initiated in Cuba. He was one of the first African Americans to be initiated in Cuba. Mm -hmm. Obai Surgeon, we can talk about a little later, was the first one who was initiated there. So he had this series of classes that mm -hmm. he taught. And so I got involved. I got introduced to him. Um, I started taking these classes that introduced, it, they were called the Seven Planes of Existence. And it actually came a lot from the Madame Blavatsky uh, uh, secret doctrine work. But it, he broke it down in such a way so that it explained the different levels and the spiritual concepts behind those levels in a Yoruba mindset. So it was utilizing Orisha and understanding Ifa and the ancestral world to explain um, these different planes of existence. Mm -hmm. Honey, I got hooked. <laughs> <laughs> As some folk know, if you missed the class, you had to start from the beginning. Um, that's the way it used to be. Oh, wow. Um, so you, before that, you didn't know anything about I knew Yoruba? I nothing or about Yoruba, knew hmm. nothing about Orisha. Or West, or Western, West African, African spiritual, spiritual system? Nothing. Not at all. Okay. All I knew was that the Christianity wasn't getting it for me. And I had I've been enamored by uh, uh, Jerry uh, Jer Baba uh, um, Jeremoji's uh, uh, Shrine of the Black Madonna. Okay. And that was it. You know, I didn't know anything about any of that. I may have. I don't even think I read anything at that point. I hadn't. Hmm. It even opened my eyes any way, shape, or form to that. Hmm. But I fell in love. I just fell in love. And so I took the classes. I ended up leaving uh, Cleveland, and I had to stop taking the classes for a while. I moved to Chicago. 
Um, I and the brother was really sweet. Now he was an Obatala priest, um, and he came back and forth to Chicago to bring me to Cincinnati to take the classes, and he would bring me back to Chicago. Hmm. Nothing personal involved. He it was just his desire to help me get through these classes. Right? Wow. He helped me establish my first ancestral altar uh, in the apartment that I was in. Um, so I started. I I, I finally got through it. Um, when I was there, I met a woman, uh, her name was Maria Teresa Landro, uh, may she rest in peace, who was Puerto Rican. And she had a spiritual uh, community that she had going on. And uh, I met her, I went to start uh, learning from her, and it turned out that she was initiated to Oshun. No, she was initiated to Shango. Hmm. Um, Kawo Kabiesi Leo. Um, uh, so she embraced me. I had a friend who was there who actually introduced me to her. And she was, I, I, the friend was from Cleveland and we worked at, at Carol House together. Um, but at any rate, I started going to Ia Teresa's house and uh, we decided, Elizabeth and I both got our Eleke from her. Um, and in the, case, uh, the, the necklaces that represent the different forces of nature known as Orisha. So each like a, each uh, necklace is a um, uh, personification, is, is, is a hookup to uh, a particular Orisha. Okay, so that's like an initial stage of mm-hmm. um, entering uh, into, 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 that the, into that culture. At least with the way that Ia Teresa did things, she was Santorian. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's, that's another long story we'll have to talk about another day but um, I'm only saying that to say that there were some um, conflicts between uh, Spanish speaking people and African Americans mm-hmm. uh, or Brazilian speaking or uh, whatever the languages were that were in Cuba, Haiti uh, Brazil, uh, Portugal, you know, those areas where we as Africans were first uh, captured and, and um, kidnapped and taken to. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. here, which is English speaking, right? Right. right? Those places were Catholic, they had a different kind of understanding um, about a relationship, and we were Protestant, folks here were Protestant and couldn't care less about human family structure and all the rest of that together. But at any rate, Teresa caught, caught hell by letting those blacks come into her ile. Oh. Um, you know, because there was this big riff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it, that's just phenomenal to me how that keeps being perpetrated among us. We're all African in mm-hmm. origin, right? But we keep getting pitted against each other. She caught hell. She caught hell. Was, she so there was care. racism within the, in the, in the, oh. in the religion. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, many, and it's still true today, Many um, folk who are Santorian, uh, Candomblé, uh, uh, Haitian, uh, Vodun, Palo, don't feel that those blacks need to be dealing with spirituality. We, we don't have any business being in that. We shouldn't be dealing with that. And I, I, I can't say honestly that it's still to that degree because it's been some years since I've dealt with them. But I've not seen anything that has dissuaded me from, from that. Um, there are a lot more folk who are more open and understanding um, and mm-hmm. take it across the board. But it's, it's like, uh, this is ours. If you'd wanted it, you would have held on to it. It's like, 
<laughs> you know how you held on to it? It's because mm-hmm. you had more loving slave masters than we mm-hmm. did, you know, and that was it. But yeah, so that's how I, I, I uh, initially got involved in this culture. It's kind of interesting to me. I want to ask a question. So it's obvious to me that at birth you had a connection to spirit. Mm-hmm. And in, the, in one of the only ways that you could communicate as an infant you did that saved your life and your mother's life. You threw up. You really think about it. And at sixteen, <laughs> you were begin. You initially experienced Christianity or somewhere mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. that age. Fifteen. 15. 15. And you fell in love with that. Mm-hmm. So there was some connection. And it was random because why did you choose Methodist? Had right? not gone to church though. Had no history. Right. But. You, you knew that there was some connection there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And n- now you're speaking of being connected to um, traditional African religion. What about it made you know that that was what you needed to do? I didn't. I didn't. I, at that point, I started trusting the path that was being brought, that was opening up for me. And it wasn't until I started getting deeper. Well, first of all, it was the sessions that opened, gave me, because I'm a Gemini, I gotta think this thing through, right? I gotta (laughs) have some tangible something to to help me along this way, right? And so understanding what it was that I was getting myself into uh, made sense. Um, And then the feeling part started to to come. So like to give you, and and, and then these other serendipitous things that would happen. So like to give you an example, when I got my Rileke, there's a, 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 a ceremony that one has to go through, at least I went through with uh, Ia Teresa, and that was I had to wear white and sleep in front of the shrine on um, the night before I received my leke, right? Mm. Well, she had mice, and uh, they were scurrying around, right? And mice were not my favorite <laughs> friends, right? No. Um, there's an Orisha known as Eshu who governs that world that deals with mice and she was kind of close to me on the floor there when I was so I turned around and I talked to them I said yo you know, <laughs> I need some help here I'm, I'm scared of mice what are we going to do <laughs> right? they disappeared wow they disappeared mm. I, I'm not exaggerating so it was those types of serendipitous things that happened along that line oh so that, you saw the little statue the little Head of Eshu that was on the floor next to you. Right. I knew oh, who you it was spoke to that. I spoke to oh, him. Oh, to him. Yeah, yeah. And then that's what made the mice go away. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. that like renewed your faith. It, like you not renewed like, it. Just, it just helped push it because by that time I'd already decided to step. To yeah. Step, but yes, it helped to affirm. Wow. That the direction I was going in. So I mean, mm. she was talking about the the helicopter and I'm t- t- the plane that blew up and I'm mm-hmm. saying that there have been other things along yeah. the mm-hmm. path that have been. all kinds of mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah I was just thinking with the helicopter that was you were just in this realm mm-hmm. you had just gone right. through your transition I'm not from the spirit claim. to the physical I'm not taking claim for that mm-hmm. I'm not taking any kind of conscious claim for that but I, I do believe the spirit worked through me at that Absolutely. Point. there's no doubt and it could have been it worked through my mama and she didn't recognize it but wow it's amazing how like over time when you I don't know whether it's those who are born into a spiritual path or it happens to everyone and everyone doesn't always notice, but there are like all these little signs and like 
what like crossroads, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where where you just get this this message, up? right? Like go over there, and you have no idea, no clue, no you know logic as to why you're going or what you're gonna find, mm-hmm. and then it just gets dropped in your lap and mm-hmm. on your road of development. And um, so so so, who are you, Ia? Why do we call you Ia? What do you do? Okay, um, <laughs> before I get to that, can I share just a little bit more of how I got to that? Point? Yes, yes, of course, of course. Uh, okay, so um, uh, I think that the story I've spun thus far has painted also the picture of me kind of being an outsider <laughs> to the rest of my community. Mm. So there were not many things that uh, I could do with folks I thought were friends, <laughs> right? Um and that situation continued. I say that to say that when I finally um, made the connections to the folk who would end up being my godparents into uh, initiation, it ended up that I did not follow the regular way that most of us at that time were following. So I did not get initiated through a Santeria or a Lupami system. I got initiated through folk who were um, embracing the way that initiations were done in Africa. Mm. And so that made me an outcast again. (laughs) Mm. Mm -hmm. That made me an outcast again. But what that did was heighten my relationship with Arisha. And so I came to know um, Arisha much better. Mm. Um, My relationship with them enabled me to set up a... um, teaching space and in, in, in a way to work with them um, and I won't go into particulars about the different levels of initiation there but I ended up being um, able to initiate others and so uh, the name that is given to someone who is um, an initiator has got children is mother mm-hmm. or father so Ia means mother. Mm-hmm. I, I tease some of the folks uh, in Jackson uh, <coughs> because they call me Mama Ia. Or Miss Ia, Miss Mama. <laughs> but Ia means mother. So and Baba means father. So men who are initiated are called Babas, and mm-hmm. women are called Ias. Mm-hmm. Am I correct to say that it's short for Ianifa? No, Ialosha would have been what my first name would have been, Mother of Arisha. Okay. Um, later then, I went on to become an Ianifa, and, uh, which is a, a wife of Arumala, of okay. Ifa. Um, so, Mother of Ifa. So, can you w- walk back through that? Because everybody doesn't understand kind of that process. So, take us through it slowly. Explain your initiatory process from like I guess picking up from when you de- when you decided to leave the Santeria house and move into the African-centered house and then on up into becoming an Ianifa. Um So I started working with um, the person I initially ended up getting initiated to Arisha through. Um, I don't acknowledge him um, anymore, so I don't even want to say his name, but I got initiated to um, Arisha 
And the way in which I got initiated was different from the way they get initiated here. So here, what they would do would initiate um, folks to five, the five major Orisha, and if there were a couple of other Orisha that were necessary to be received, they receive all of that at one time. Mm -hmm. They were called Ias, Ia, Ia Loshas, uh, mother of, of Osha, um, and had the ability to then begin to start working with others and initiate them to um, Orisha. So, but the way that I received Orisha was different from the way that it was done here, and that was I only received uh, my head um, and my secondary Orisha. So I received Oya and I received Eshu. Um, so I that made me an outcast again. So I couldn't deal with majority of folk here because they said that I wasn't legit. Um, but I was following my path. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, made me happy, and I felt good with my relationship. Mm -hmm. And then that led me on to uh, um, receiving other Orisha one at a time, mm -hmm. as opposed to all five of them. So I, they eventually all went to my head. I eventually got all of them, but it, it was a one-step, step-by-step process. Mm -hmm. And then um, I ended up working with uh, Baba Medahochi Kofiza Nu, Ibarra who was the second, he was one of the first folk, black folk, African-American folk on this land that got initiated to Orisha. So the first person who got initiated to, uh, um, um, through the uh, uh, um, Oyatunji um, house, the Ile house. So I gotta fast forward to tell this story and then I'll come back, okay? okay. So um, I ended up, um, Coming to Jackson the first time as a spiritual mentor, uh, a spirit godmother of a woman who lived in Jackson, uh, her mother had passed and my partner at the time, that was his aunt. So we came to do funerary rites. And so when I crossed the border of Mississippi, uh, his son is driving, I'm riding shotgun, and this thing came over me and I couldn't understand what was happening. And Kenya looks at me and said, what's going on with you? I said, I have no idea. And so he said, uh, I know what's happening. He said that you're feeling the energy of, of all those bodies hanging from the trees. Every time I say that, I feel it, right? And that's what I was feeling. I had hmm. the worst three days of my life in Mississippi. I, in Jackson, I told my godchild, if you love me, you're going to have to come see me if you want to see me again because <laughs> I'm not coming back here. Um, I ended up going through some stuff in Illinois, got tricked into coming someplace to help set up, set up sovereignty, started, I'm not even going to get into all of that. I just got really upset. And so my godchildren, I have, have three books that I've written. So I had godchildren who lived in New Orleans, I mean, in uh, Shreveport. So they brought me down for a book signing tour in Shreveport. And um, uh, Asante came down to teach drums. So we went there and then they sent us to uh, New Orleans. So my student calls and says, Ia, you in New Orleans, you only, you know, hop, skip, and jump away, come and see me. It's like, what, it, what is it about me never setting foot in Mississippi again? Don't you understand? <laughs> but she's pulling, oh, Ia, come on. And he's pushing, right? And so we end up back in um, Mississippi. So um, I saw the sign that says Shokwe Lumumba running for a council when I first uh, came to Mississippi. And I'm trying to figure out how somebody by that name is running for electoral politics. First of all, living in Jackson, period, mm -hmm. and then running for electoral politics, right? Nobody around me knew who that was. When I came back the second time, he was running for council, for mayor. Mm -hmm. It's like, who is this guy, right? So I'm talking to Dara on the phone. 
my oldest daughter, and um, I'm saying, Dara, I'm, you know, I can't figure out who this guy is, and I tell his name, and she starts laughing. I said, Dara, what you laughing about? She said, Ma, I'm a member of MXG. I said, what is that? She said, Malcolm X Grassroots Movement. I had never heard of them, right? They, by the time I had left Cleveland, uh, they hadn't started yet, and I was into spirituality in sh Chicago. I had worked for here in Washington, but I was more spiritual than political, right? So I didn't know what MXG was. And she said, not only that, I was in the office when uh, we decided that he should run for mayor, right? Mm -hmm. So she came down and she introduced me to him. So we had a long talk. And at the end of that talk, he asked me to be his media coordinator for his campaign. But during this conversation, he's talking about some of the folks that he had had relationship with and had worked with him. And he talked about this guy named Walter King. And he said, Walter, and I started chuckling, right? And he said, Walter uh, left uh, Detroit and went to uh, New York. And I said, yeah, and he started the Dumbala Institute. And he looked at me and I said, yeah. And I said, then he went on to start Oyatunji Village. And so it was Obaya Surgeon who started mm. Oyatunji Village, who had been his minister of culture mm. in um, um, uh, <laughs> Detroit. Wow. So I was saying, you know, it's just this world that we weave. So, so Obaya Surgeon, it was through, it was actually Chief Ajamu, he bought a through and he rest in peace, who was the only one in that group who took me under his wing and accepted me uh, despite all of the stuff that I went through. I guess he saw my spirit. And, and the other thing about Chief Ajimu, I maybe shouldn't say this on um, air, but uh, he's no longer with us, so it doesn't really matter. He was actually initiated to Oya. Obatala was a secondary research for him, but they promoted him as Obatala because he needed to have that stance within Oyatunji village. But that was my big brother. Mm -hmm. He looked out for me and he took care of, took care of me. And what uh, is Olatunji village? Oyatunji village is the village in South Carolina. I, I think it, I don't remember if it began in North Carolina, but it, or it may have been higher north in South Carolina and then mm -hmm. moved to where it is um, today. But it's the first village that is run by um, Africans in America that deal with uh, a Yoruba concept, Yoruba mm. culture, uh, African culture. So mm. they uh, are uh, um, initiates of Arisha and of Ifa, and they also have their own. Uh, they have a, a place that is theirs. It's they've got their it's their city. Mm. They have it registered as theirs. They do their work. They have they build their homes. They have their uh, farms there and all the rest of it. So it's a a, a village. Wow. That is ours, you know. Wow. That, yeah. So, I, I just wanted to share that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's how. Uh, and so, Baba Medahochi was the second, uh, was one of the first initiates within that uh, realm, uh, and uh, he was the one who was my godfather to initiate me to Ifa. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. And what was that process like, being initiated to Ifa? In what respect? Because you know I can't talk about the process. No, no, no. What, what, <laughs> what brought you to the point of being initiated to Ifa? Um, it was just the work that I was doing, um, the level of engagement within community, um, and because uh, spirit said. Spirit said. <laughs> All right. <laughs> spirit said. Mm -hmm. right. Now, was there some issue with women being um, oh, yeah. in initiated to? So, oh, yeah. so can you speak about that? and why that was an issue and how that has... Well, I, I, I'm going to tell this funny story. So I had this uh, uh, sister that I initiated to Ifa, uh, um, who is in um, 
California now, but she was in Chicago, uh, in Denver for a while. And um, I, I won't mention her name. I have, would have to get her permission sure, to do sure. that. But mm -hmm. I will mention the uh, other sister who had been initiated, Ifa, who was at this conference, right? Her name was Aina Olomo Ibada Tarun. She's no longer with us. So we're the Ianifa in this conference, right? And uh, the Babalao, the male initiates of Ifa, are like looking down their noses at us, right? So she and I are sitting out um, outside the uh, doorway of the conference, uh, taking a break, right? And we're talking about this nonsense, right? Where the Babalao say that women cannot be Ianifas, cannot be initiated to Ifa, because they're not allowed to see Odu, which is a, a, a container, right? So Aina looks at me, and we're laughing about this, right? She pulls up her skirt, she takes her head, she bends down, she looks between her legs, and she uh, uh, pops back up. And she said, I just saw, and we both say, oh, do, at the same time. Oh, do is the womb. Yes. You know, it's the womb. So how can you say we cannot be initiated because we are not allowed to see the womb? You know, you know so it's those types of things. But I think that what happens is that, or what happened was that there was a uh, uh, coloration of uh, Yoruba concept here. So it got kind of tainted by a lot of things. Mm. Um, patriarchy, uh, prejudice, and all the racism, and all the rest of that kind of colored it in many forms, shapes, and fashions. Um, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so what made Baba Menahochi decide to go against that and because that's who he is he, he listens to spirit he mm -hmm. understands the difference between man-made bs and um spirit direction mm -hmm. and so he uh, yeah okay yeah. that's one of the things that i hope that you know no matter what people do whatever tradition it is um i always try to say if people if it's working for you and you're not hurting nobody do what you do, do what you and do. why does anybody care what you do if it's not bothering you let them it, let them do what they're doing oh, you do what you do right. if it's working for you you do that thing but leave people alone to do what they want to do why do we argue about oh this little oh it can't be this you didn't do this one right. quite like this you got to do this ritual this way you you didn't you missed a step here you missed, right. did right. you get the results right exactly Right. Did you get the results? Because with what happened through the Ma'afa, the slave trade and all of that, something is going to be diluted. Or enhanced. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Evolved. Yes, yeah. or evolved. Yeah. And we continue to evolve right. and transform. Yes. And so, yeah. 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 And again, I feel that it's about intention. Mm -hmm. like that's... Yeah. The most important thing is the intention mm -hmm. and source. The mo that energy, that universal energy, understands the intention, mm -hmm. and that's why we get the result. Mm -hmm. right. And that's also, oh, and and listening to the story too, it's like recognizing that spirit is alive, and right. spirit is communicating constantly. And spirit is directing us to different crossroads and different paths constantly, which help us on our spiritual path and help us to evolve to get to where we go. So how can you possibly make, you know, these rules or these rituals even that and spiritual. say they cannot change? <laughs> right. If you hear spirit speaking right. or directing 
then everything can change at any point in time for anyone based upon what spirit says. Right, which brings me back to the story of the tears that came when I was standing in church. Mm-hmm. That was my ancestral energy telling me, no baby, that's not for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling tears. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not for you. Yeah. I connect with that. Right. We so try it's to, always there. We just don't always recognize it. Yeah, we try mm-hmm. to put people in boxes. Right. And we're really trying to help people to break out of boxes and to own their own connection to spirit. Right. 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 And if ever a time for that to happen has been, yeah. now mm-hmm. is the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now is the time. Mm-hmm. We're not realizing how serious it's getting out here. Mm-hmm. How serious it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I was with uh, Shea, my younger daughter, one day, and she was looking at something on the TV. And she the movies Um, and so I started uh, looking at it with her and it was a thing called Time Warp and it was about this uh, uh, white family that had disappeared and so their friends had gone mountain uh, into a cave exploring into a cave and so uh, their friends decided they wanted to go uh, find them right and so they had a, a group of them and they climbed down on ropes and they went down into the cave and somebody stayed up with a rope to hold it just so they could get back up and as they're climbing down they're seeing the lights in the sky change and they're whipping around so they they get down to the bottom and before they know it this this boy that had been left up there falls down to the uh, uh, and he hurts himself I think he dies or he get, gets hurt really bad uh, so somebody climbs up, is able to get up and see that the rope broke, right? But they say, something's wrong up here. It looks really weird, right? So they, they come back down. And so they find the guy that they were looking for, and he was being guarded by uh, pygmies or uh, primitive cave folk. Mm-hmm. So these folks are white. Guess what color the primitive cave folk is? <laughs> oh, no. Right? So... A little later, as things go on, there is this steel pole that comes down, and it sprouts out and turns into a ladder, and this alien-looking person comes climbing down the steps, right? And um, turns out that there's a water that's there that the primitives had either produced or were guarding or keeping it pure. They drag the boy into the water, and he recovered, right? Mm -hmm. He got his his stuff Mm -hmm. back, right? And so the alien is telling them um, about how they've been missing for 100 years. They've been down in this place for 100 years. They thought they'd been there for an hour or two, right? And, but it was a time warp, so uh. this whole thing changed. And so he, they're showing them pictures of the family looking for them, news documentaries, and how years had passed and you know, aged and died and all the rest of that. So they take them on up to Mars, right, to... Uh, um, help them get, because the earth is desecrated. There's nothing left. It's just whirlwind and all the rest of it, right? Guess who they left behind? Right? The primitive. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. Primitive. Right. <laughs> um, and so that really spoke to me because it was about a week or two earlier that I saw where Musk, Musk Elon, whatever Elon, Elon Musk. Musk, mm-hmm. talking about that uh, they're getting ready to go colonize Mars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're talking about doing it by 2024, 20, 20, 26, mm-hmm. somewhere in there, right? And folks are now beginning to panic because it seems as if things are happening on, on in the world that are irreversible and are going to be um, totally um, 
demolishing as far as we're concerned. And so those of us, if we have an opportunity, you need to get the heck out of Dodge, right? Well, I say BS. Mm. I say, please leave. Right. Please leave. Mm. So we can help restore this back to the way it needs to be. Right. Folks are not working in harmony with nature. Mm. And you think that nature's going to continue to let that, to let that go on? Hmm. I'm just hoping that we can get to it before it's too late, right? And I'm, I'm, I know it's not going to be too late because I know that that's why we've been placed on the planet right now. It's fascinating too because it makes me think of like the time when I went to Ghana, and just thinking about you know even if I practice or Orisha connection to Earth and to the different elements and how that practice, like. Um, changes your life experiences and being in Ghana with my my sister her her name is Tiaji I haven't seen her in years though but we were very young and understanding that connection to nature and seeing you know all of Ghana as sacred and then you know refusing to take our um, medication for malaria and drinking the tea that everyone in Ghana was mm-hmm, drinking, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, and to and never <laughs> didn't get sick, had a wonderful uh, experience, you right, know, right. communed with everyone, hug, hugging trees, you know, right, just like right. so happy for the butterflies. And then the people who came and felt very foreign to the land and were offended by the lack of American, you know, um, sewage systems and, mm-hmm. you know, roads and and were not communing with nature, not recognizing the sacred um, element of nature, did get eaten by mosquitoes, right. did get sick, right. were so repulsed by, by the environment, were almost like spit out, you know, yes. a few of them ran home, you know, the second week, they couldn't stay. Yes. And, and so understanding that not only are we practicing a philosophical practice of we're not practicing excuse me <laughs> we're living living <laughs> right living and 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 being connected to that spirit that is in all of nature mm-hmm. and that there's a different way of existing here that the problem is not nature's problem the problem is your problem right. that you can't you can't connect and right. so therefore you believe that you're destroying you believe that you know that there's something toxic, but maybe it's only toxic for you. <laughs> I was trying to pull out my uh, phone where I wanted to show you. I had been sitting somewhere, and the wasp came by and landed on my hand. Mm. And it just stood, it stood there. It just kind of sniffed around. Mm. Mm-hmm. This place here is a very sacred space. I can't, um, I don't know all of the history, so I don't want to speak on it, but we went on a nature walk. They have bees here. Mm. When's the last time you saw a bee? Right, not at this season. Right, or or, or and and I haven't seen bees, period, mm-hmm. in a while. You know, so they have bees that are growing. Um, I mean, it's just a very sacred space here, and that's that's the point. Mm-hmm. You treat nature, and you walk in a path that you treat life like you want to be treated, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so we have the ability to be able to turn this thing around. Mm-hmm. Get out of that. Right. Please. Right. Please. Right. Peace out. So what role is spirit playing in your life now and how do you think that's going to to what you were speaking about? How was spirit going to um, manifest as we move through these perilous times? Okay, so if I answered that question for you. There would be nothing different from me than all of these masqueraders walking around saying that they spirit led. 
I can't tell you. Hmm. I do know that as long as I'm obedient, well, I don't want to say obedient because I don't want to, as long as I'm in tune with and I walk the path that I've been instructed and led to walk, that um, I think um, that I'm here for a reason. Hmm. And I think that reason is put smiles on your faces <laughs> and to perhaps show folk another way of dealing with things. And I know that I'm not by myself. Right? Mm-hmm. So that um, I can't even remember the question you asked me. I'm sorry. Well, this is something that's very important because if we are following and tapped into spirit, mm-hmm. it may be our purpose to walk outside of what everybody else is doing, what is the norm, what is quote-unquote right to create a new reality. Or to assist in that reality being created. Right. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, and and you probably can speak better better to this than me because you were in that time when um, Martin Luther King was doing what he was doing and people weren't really in support of him. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of even our people were not in support of him. Mm -hmm. They just wanted him. But that needed to happen. He needed to, him and many, many other people, like, they needed uh, to be outside of the norm to push it forward. Yes, absolutely. No, all of our people, all of our heroes and sheroes, yes, to push it forward. And without them doing that, evolution doesn't occur. But they weren't the heroes at that time, right. but mm-hmm. now they are. Even I think mm-hmm. about um, Tommy, Tommy, um, Tommy, the Olympic, uh, the '68 Olympics. The guys who held, who raised their fists, oh, right, mm-hmm. right, and they were outcasts. Oh, yeah. They were treated horribly for years and years and years. Who those Negroes think they are? <laughs> mm-hmm. But now, yeah. they they're getting accolades mm-hmm. for that, mm-hmm. and. We don't really appreciate what they had to go through to get it to where it is now. Mm-hmm. You know, with Colin Kaepernick, he's being ostracized, but he's getting a whole lot more support they than did. they ever did, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we'll look at Colin Kaepernick differently mm-hmm. in 20 years, in 30 years, mm-hmm. you know? So you, if we bring that back to spirit and think about the evolution of even just the Yoruba tradition as it as it has evolved in the different places it's gone to people had to tap in the spirit to figure out what they didn't have right. anymore right. right they had to say okay spirit I don't have my implements I don't have the tools right. that I'm used to working with I don't have the what can to the land. right what can I use over here what plants what herbs can I use over here that I that will substitute or replace what I was using over there Hmm. And you had to be able to tap into that in order to figure that out. Right. And that's interesting because I just had a conversation with um, a sister, a priest. Um, we had met a couple of years ago through a, a gathering like the one that we're here this weekend for. And she had called me because uh, we kind of connected. And uh, she needed to find some herbs. And uh, she had had a reading from someone who had told her she needed to get some herbs and she wanted to know what the herbs for where y'all was and where she could get them, right? I said, wait a minute. Don't you have a 30-acre farm? (laughs) (laughs) She said, yes. I said, aren't you a priest? Mm -hmm. She said, yes. She said, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, 
said, well, don't you know how to throw your shells to talk to Arisha, to talk to the herb? She says, yes. I said, what do you need to go find a store for? <laughs> go out into your, your farm, mm -hmm. you know, and get the things that you need that are there. I'm, I'm seconding what you're saying because that, that tendency has carried over so badly that we think we have to go back home to get what we need here. And what we don't even realize is that at this point, what's home might be poisonous to us. Right. Mm. It might not have the efficaciousness that we need. Wow. But we go by sta uh, uh, blind standards, right? And we just do it blindly. Just, mm. They say, do that. Okay, well, that's what we will do. Wow. Right? And we don't understand. We have, we have forgotten to think for ourselves and mm -hmm. how to deal with... Uh, what we have around us. I, 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 hope I can't, not, uh, I can't remember. I can't remember who said it to me, but somebody was trying to tell me that if you, if you speak to the earth that's around you, the space that you live in, the plants that you need for your health will immediately start to grow okay. where you live. Okay. And if they're if, not already there. Well, they're already there, right, right? Because the earth knows that you, need you them. know, right, you have... You know problems with your blood sugar, so it will start growing the plants that can remedy that. And other folks will look at it and say they're weeds. Yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I, I I thought that was fascinating. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. is fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was I was just talking to a sister earlier this week who talked about wanting to remember an herb that was used for something when she was a child. And she could not remember what it was. And she started just, I'm not going to remember. Then she had a dream. <laughs> and her grandmother told her, this is what you need to do. You take the leaf and you wrap it over this and it'll, it'll bring the swelling down. And sure enough, there it was. Right? Oh. So she got the information that she needed, tap, tapping in the spirit in a different way. Mm -hmm. So we have to cultivate um, our ability to do that. Mm -hmm. um, can you speak to how you do that? How you cultivate tapping in the, into spirit in a way that you do? Um, learning to be quiet, to mm -hmm. steal myself, and to listen. Mm -hmm. um, and I have found that the older I've gotten, the deeper it goes. Um, so that uh, it's not a voice. It's, it's more so for me just an image that comes into my mind or it's, it's knowledge that comes. That it's, and so I'll speak on it and people will say, how do you know that? You know, or, or however. Um, and I think, <laughs> I think it came from not having any friends. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, you know, that's, that's really interesting because that story resonates with me. Like that story of constantly being outcasted for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. And I often think that that may be also spiritual intention, sure. preparing you for the strength necessary to be an outcast and to follow the voice of spirit. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, when you do follow the voice of spirit, you end up doing things that are not you know, socially acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> that gets the work done. <laughs> yeah, and so you cannot, you know, you cannot follow spirit if you have an expectation of being um, accepted or, mm -hmm. you Loved know. By everyone. And mm -hmm. that's, that's not the path. No, yeah. and it's not easy, but I sometimes think that some of us go through harsh childhoods or, you know, um, abandonments or separations, you know, in order to, toughen us up mm -hmm. so that when it happens as we follow that spirit path 
we, we don't fall completely apart. Right, I think it toughens us up, but I think it also makes us more sensitive mm-hmm. as well. And I also believe that it, that when we ask and when we're walking the path and we ask, we'll be led to other people that are our tribe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we won't feel as much <coughs> like an outcast. Mm-hmm. Right. And we'll begin to to really wake up and realize that it's not about fitting in with the norm because what's normal isn't natural. Right. Hmm. And who set the norm anyway? Right. Especially in this place. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's a whole different energy. Right. And I'm glad to be sitting here with a group of outcasts. Yay! <laughs> F them! Weaving it, bringing it forward from the last podcast. So, okay. <laughs> so um, what are you doing now? Um, how are you integrating spirit currently, and what are you doing? Tell us about your life now. So, um, in my um, dealings with uh, ending up in Jackson, um, <coughs> I had helped to uh, co-found and co-direct an organization um, that ended up not working out well for me. Um, and so we separated uh, relationship primarily based on um, political reasons. And so uh, interestingly enough, um, I ended up working for uh Shokwe Sr.'s daughter, Rukia, hmm. are working with her. Um, and we work for uh, an organization that she has created called People's uh, uh, Advocacy Institute. And so what that does is uh, works with uh, folks uh, returning home from um, prison and uh, creating uh, um, opportunities for them to have a lifestyle that uh, prevents them from going back to prison or assist them in not going back to prison, which was interesting because I lived in Chicago for a number of years and I had an organization called Tomorrow's Child that I started. And that organization dealt with uh, first-time offenders between the ages of 12 and 18. And uh, I used the theater arts to, uh, uh, and I taught remedial skills. We taught remedial skills, um, math, English, you know, things, because oftentimes they were dropped out, so people who didn't deal with school very um, well. and then also taught them how to, uh, 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 well, taught them theater, uh, but we also did role playing. Oh, no, excuse me. I wanted to say that I also taught them African history because these were African American children that I was dealing with. And we realized if you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you're going to go, where you're going. So we did that. And then we used the theater to have them role play so that they would figure out different ways, different options they could have had for the things that they did. Um, that the crimes that they had committed and how they could have dealt it, dealt it in another way. And then we had them write skits and plays and we went around and did street theater with that. And so I'm finding myself back into that venue of working with returning citizens, right? The funny thing about uh, Rukia though is guess where she came back the year from? From the year before last. Nigeria getting initiated to <laughs> <laughs> 
Right, and she's taking the sessions through me. She took those before she went to um, Nigeria. And so we're working our stuff in, 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 in Jackson, and we're, we're doing some things that are, uh, I think that are pretty phenomenal or have the uh, capacity to be phenomenal. Wow. Um, one of the things that we did was we had a people's uh, um, assembly in uh, Jackson called a participatory budgeting assembly. And while this doesn't sound like it's spirit-oriented, I say that it is in an extent because what is happening is the right people are starting to come together and working together in the right kind of way. So what we did with the participatory budget was that the mayor and uh, his staff, uh, his uh, team, um, came to meet with citizens within the community and explained what the budget was being proposed for the city and uh, let the citizens know what the things were being looked at and gave them opportunity to uh, talk about it. Hmm. Uh, his chief executive officer created a monopoly-like game where the monies were the budget and the little squares were the things that the budget was being spent on. And so uh, these types of things helped the citizens understand what was going on and to give uh, uh, qualified, quantitative uh, um, feedback on how the budget was going to feel right to them. Mm -hmm. Mayor's office listened to it, accepted a great deal of it, and then moved forward with um, um, presenting it to the council. The council tried to push us back, but we, we got it and we won it for four to three, right? I'm saying these, these types of things, people you look at and you don't think that's spirit working, but if that's not spirit working, what is that? What is? Mm. What is? And I am convinced, I don't think I said this, that when I came to um, Jackson, oh, so during Shokwe's uh, uh, seniors campaign, we got to a point where there was a runoff and there were $450,000 in the kitty of the guy, Jonathan Lee, who was running. We had like, I say 20, other folks said 60,000, but compared to 450, that's nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So people were getting despondent and they asked Miss Wordy to give them a pep talk, right? <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, I gave um, um, my pep talk, but during that, what I did was research on Mississippi. Now remember I told you, well, I don't think I told you, I knew how to read before I went to uh, kindergarten mm -hmm. because my father stayed home with us, my brother and I, and I knew how to read, I knew how to write, I knew how to do math before mm -hmm. I went to school, right? I read um, uh, Franz Fanon when I was nine years old, you know, mm -hmm. those types of things, right? Mm -hmm. But, and I had read about Mississippi, but I had forgotten. So I'm doing research on Mississippi. I came to find out that Mississippi was the richest state in the country. Wow. In mm. Wow. Do you know why? Slavery? No. The cotton farms, because there was no slaves in 1903 that had uh. been, been released, right? Yeah. Right, 1903, right, right, right. right. Yeah. Um, it was the... Uh, um, Sharecroppers? It was the farms, but it was the farms in the Delta, Upper Delta, that were cotton farms. But what people do not understand was that 57% of those farmers were African American. Mm -hmm. oh. Right. And so the country did what it always does. It created a, uh, a recession. This wow. was the second big recession of the country at that time. So those, they, they couldn't afford their farms. So those who could afford to leave left and went to Upper Mississippi, which is Chicago. Mm. And I just came to recently find out that Toledo and some places in Ohio are also Upper Mississippi, mm -hmm. right? Um, and those who stayed became sharecroppers. Mm. And so now Mississippi is the poorest state in the country, right? Mm. And has the largest, of, and this is another thing, I can go on for days, but Mississippi has the largest uh, um, black 
infant death syndrome, um, HIV, uh, diabetes among black folk, obesity, uh, attention, all of these things, right? And also, uh, Mississippi has the largest hemp farm, or at least used to have the largest hemp farm in the country uh, that was experimental in back of uh, Ole Miss College mm. University, right? Um, so I say that they're experimenting on us. I'm going off on another tangent. Mm. You pull me back home. Where am I going with this story? <laughs> but but um, um, that is what uh, Mississippi is. And so I came during that campaign, when I came to find all of that out, came to realize that we are standing on the shoulders. No, that is my mother and my father. And all of the folks who were involved in the civil rights movement at that time were standing on the shoulders of those folks. Mm. And we're down here doing all, in Mississippi, they're doing all the work. Mm. Wow. All of the work, right? And so I feel honored because I feel like I was brought home. Mm. You know, I, I feel like um, no matter what happens to me in Mississippi as far as the mundane is concerned, that I have purpose there. And things like Rukia and the PAI and working with folk and doing getting into my political thing and doing all of those things are evidence of it. So I'm not making a big difference in the world, but at least I'm able to hold the one and I'm able to give others um, hope that holding the one's gonna be good for us because mm. we, as long as we got the one, Mm. that we have a handle on this way the thing is shaping. And I don't think I ever brought it back home, and maybe this is how we can end this thing. Mm. But it, it was looking at that movie about the uh, time warp and the uh, uh, thing that was happening with folks leaving the planet because the planet was devastated. People are saying that the planet is um, dying, and the planet is uh, reversing itself, and all the rest of that. So that's good. Mm. The planet is cleaning herself. Right. Um, she's she's too young to die. It's right. not time for her to die yet. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we have people like us who are in tune with spirit, get the hell heck out of our way. Right. right. Yes. And then let us deal with the earth and right. return her back to who she is. Right. right. Um, the way she instructs us, the way that she wants to be returned back to who she is. Right. So we've chosen to be here to save this, save ourselves, save our world, right at this time, and turn it into another place. And mm -hmm. I'm I'm hoping that I'll be around long enough to at least see that begin sturdily, right? And mm -hmm. have a, a conscious part of this. I know I'm gonna have a part on the other side. <laughs> 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 that I can see it in this lifetime on this side as well. So wow. if I don't say anything else tonight, I wanna say that we need to realize what our responsibility is to ourselves, standing on the shoulders of those who came before us and preparing the world for those who are coming after. Hmm. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Well, wow. Started with the bang, ending with the bang. <laughs> um, I do. So you you mentioned that you wrote three books. You want to say what those are so folks can get those if they're interested, and um, um, other ways people can connect with you if they're so inclined. Sure. The names of the books are Heeding the Ancestral Call, um, a self help general back to spiritual basics mm -hmm. the second one is um, devil ain't nothing but a five letter word something <laughs> 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 and the third one is she threw a stone tomorrow um, they can be found on Amazon or if you uh, contact me at um, what's the easiest way to do this 
Nasmai, N-A-S-M-A-I dot Jackson at gmail.com. I can send you a link to it. Um, actually, there's a, a site, a website that I have that I got to bring back up to date, but it's called windwhispers.org, and it has the books on there. Okay. And I'm getting ready to work on my second set of books. Okay. Yay. Good deal. <laughs> Well, we certainly appreciate you gracing us with your presence and for sharing your life story and your, your, your insights into spirit. I think it has been very informative and inspirational, and I, I've learned quite a bit. Yes. I know you were saying you feel like you have a purpose in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. I feel like you have a purpose, period. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's not where you are. It's, it's only trying to You're be like you when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> Period. You have a purpose. It doesn't matter. It's not about where you are. It's about mm. who you who you are in this time and in this place and what you've come to do. And you're doing it. Mm-hmm. You're living it. And I thank you. Yes. I thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Again, we thank you all for listening, for joining us in this conversation. And we will continue moving forward with more interesting topics related to spirit. We're talking about spirit. So in closing, we'd like to encourage you to embrace the concept of change and learning something new. Continue to evolve, continue to transform, Continue to thrive and find your own personal path to tapping into spirit. And I was obviously too blind and probably too weak to see who was responsible for my losing streak. <laughs>